The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to Marketing Signals Week on the MarTech Podcast. This week, we're going to talk about understanding your consumer's mindset through marketing signals. With us today is Ross Gates and Brian Colligan, who are the co-founders of Gravity, which is a series of audience monitoring solutions that enables brands to find real-time buying intent signals like fundraising status, job changes, and various other real-time data points that arm marketers with a reason to start a conversation with their in-market prospects. So far this week, we've talked about what is a marketing signal, why are the most powerful companies in the world actually marketing signal companies, and how you should collect your marketing signal data. Today, we're going to talk about the power and the problem with marketing signals. Okay, here's the fourth installment of Marketing Signals Week with Ross Gates and Brian Colligan, the co-founders of Gravity. Ross, Brian, welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. I'm excited to have you guys back on the show. Ross, why don't you just repeat what you just said so everybody can hear your brilliance of podcasting strategy. Awesome. I was once told that the attention is in the tension. So with that said, let's talk about the problems with marketing signals first. Just to reiterate, in case anybody hasn't been listening to the whole podcast, we're talking about what marketing signals are and how to use them. They are, on some level, the combination of an event that happens that is broadcast so you know who to reach out to in real times. That does create some problems and it does give you an advantage. Based on Ross's suggestion, we're going to talk about how marketing signals can get you in trouble first. Ross, other than you know knowing who we used this example earlier in the week, Target was marketing to people who didn't know they were pregnant yet with baby clothes. Maybe that can get you into trouble. Okay, so that's a no-no. What else is a problem with marketing signals? Attribution is a huge problem with marketing signals. I just want to tell the story of Honey, which is a Chrome extension. So Honey comes into the Chrome store about two years ago. Mr. Beast spends millions of dollars to advertise it on YouTube, and millions of people use it to get discounts on buying a pair of pants. And this completely destroys companies. The reason it destroys them is, let's say you are a Walmart. And you have a search engine optimization team that is spending a million dollars a year to advertise a pair of pants. Me, I come in as the consumer, I click on that pair of pants, and right before I'm about to buy it, I go use Honey. Now, there's an affiliate marketing team at Walmart also who's going to incredibly well-known YouTubers and giving them discount codes. 
Honey somehow scrapes that discount code, puts into their Chrome extension. And so be right before I buy that pair of pants, I use a discount code from an affiliate marketer, which means that everyone at Walmart thinks that I came in through watching a YouTube channel when really I came in through SEO. So they defund SEO, they give more money to affiliates and their whole platform collapses. <laughs> I was at eBay. There was a relatively famous lawsuit where people went to jail, I believe, for essentially cookie stuffing all of the affiliate links and, you know, taking traffic away from all of the other channels and collecting their affiliate commissions. And that is obviously not an accepted practice, not a good idea. Federal prison is not fun, but I'm not really seeing how that is related to the problem with marketing signals. Why is that a marketing signal problem? It has to do with attribution, right? So if you can't understand which signal and the noise or which data is the one that you should double down on or triple down on, essentially you're getting a misfire of a signal, right? So in Ross's example, the attribution was going to the affiliate, but really it was about SEO making the product discoverable and building that demand. But I think of marketing signals as here's the data point that we're getting that tells us somebody is in market and we should then go reach out to them or market to them, right? When you're talking about, well, the attribution problem, that is kind of like after I've marketed to somebody, which channel gets credit? Why is that a marketing signal problem? I mean, let's get into an awkward thing. What if a lot of the people that are advertising on your show realize that the amount of people using their affiliate links are way higher because they're somewhere else and they're not actually on your show. They'd want to pay you less to come on your show. So they are paying for the marketing signal you're creating. Is that signal as valuable as they think it is? Understanding the power of your marketing signals creates attribution problems. You might be looking at a data source and marketing towards it, but because their attribution and marketing is not always clear, it's hard to evaluate whether your marketing signals are actually successful. It sounds like that's what you're saying. Yes, that is what I'm saying. And the other part of it is in previous episodes, we've said eventually you need to build signals into your own platform. Creating your own affiliate program is part of building into your own platform. If your affiliate program is collecting signals that aren't as accurate as you think they are, then you're going to fail and become dependent on whatever previous method you were using. Yeah, you're spending your time, attention, and money on the wrong thing. So here's another example of spending your money, time, and attention on the wrong thing. We were running a Google Ads campaign for a product a couple of years ago, and the acquisition cost was amazing. And what ended up happening was that we were running this program in about three or four months in the ad campaign, the churn was off the charts. So it took us three or four months to really dig down into the data and then figure out that it wasn't a viable campaign because the ad that was winning the most was one that quoted a free trial within the advertisement itself. While it shrunk our acquisition costs, our churn went through the roof. So we weren't able to know. And Google was just pounding that ad because it was the most profitable ad for us. But essentially, it was overfitting because we didn't have the long-term value attribution embedded into the signal. So we were feeding Google the wrong data back and we had to kill that campaign. And it took us three or four months of spend before we actually even understood that that campaign didn't work. So there's the problem. And this is just sort of a fundamental marketing problem when it comes to data. But really what I'm hearing you say is the problem with data signals is evaluating the data signal from a beginning to an end. 
right? I can go look and say, I want to figure out who the people that attended a marketing event, and they would be good potential prospects for the MarTech podcast. But if I'm not able to isolate those people, market to them, and then understand what their conversion path is all the way through my funnel, it's really hard for me to tell whether that data works or not. Exactly. And that's why people give free trials that are sign up for this free trial in the next 10 minutes, get this discount in the next 10 minutes so that they know right away whether or not it worked. Yeah. Exit at 10 pop-ups are really popular. I think it's really comes down to the sales cycle. So we supply data to B2B customers. Their sales cycle might be nine months to a year. How do they know that we're giving them new hire data at the beginning that starts the conversation The conversation gets started, they go into a nurture funnel, they become an MQL, the MQL then converts into a pipeline and proposal and opportunity, and then finally converts into a client nine months later. Like, is the marketing team accurately monitoring the entire customer journey like you explained? That signal to noise atrophies over time internally as well. So the problem is you don't know, was it the nurture campaign? Was it the rockstar salesperson at the end? Or was it that they had a first conversation with new hire data? And you really can't tell. And so attribution is definitely a problem when it comes to marketing signals. That's a multiple billion dollar problem. Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense that evaluating the data signals that you're using, and this is with any target market, how do I know if the market that I'm targeting is one that's going to be effective? You have to have some patience in most cases and be persistent and understand we marketed towards these people with this message. Here was the output at the end of the sales cycle and you know, maybe building the post-mortem in and understanding which marketing channels are effective Great. You got a nine month sales cycle. Hey, we might be out of a job in nine months. So how do you think about getting that attribution problem solved in a short period of time? Or is this just a, look, we're using our best judgment. We hope it works. So this is why most SaaS companies start in the SMB space with small dollar amounts because they can't afford the risk, the long enterprise cycle. And then once they have it figured out at SMB, what the sales cycle is like, then they start to go up market. So I was doing consulting at a company called TalkDesk. And every single time they went from a SMB to mid-market to enterprise kind of sales cycle, when they wanted to start to grow their accounts, they had to revamp and re- kind of refactor every single piece of marketing that they did and readjust their key attributes and then their North Star metric. I want to repeat that because I think it's really interesting. The reason why SaaS companies often start with a lower price point is to shorten the time for conversion so they can evaluate which data sources are the effective ones, hone in on targeting them, build the right list, and then they can raise their prices because they know those people have the highest conversion rate. That's really smart. I was just going to say, based on our product, we started with a low price point so we could have one call closes so that you can test whether or not someone actually finds value in the product you're providing and they're willing to pay in the first 15 minutes. So it's a process that can apply, obviously, more than just the B2B SaaS business. Obviously, some businesses, you have to have higher price points. When you're in that case, and you know we're talking an enterprise sales platform, and you're rolling it out and you've already just decided that whether it's consulting agreements or whatever it is, you can't have a low price point. How do you figure out and make sure that your marketing signals are the effective ones? I think you go into sales to be really straightforward. You're going to do a lot of spend. You can do stuff that gets your salespeople and relationship sales in front of people. You start to go to events, conferences. It's really tough right now, but it's a really tough problem. 
there's some great examples of companies like Mailshake who use land and expand models yeah. where they sell something at a low price point that a consumer can buy. Like a single salesperson can say, I want to spend $100 a month to supercharge myself so I make more money than everybody else so I can go to the president's club. But then when they have enough people at that company who are using the product and paying out of their own bank account, then they go to the company and they say, hey, head of sales operations, these five people on your 50-person sales team use your product. You should go talk to them. This lets me know that they want your product. Let's sell you the enterprise version. Yeah, that's like the Slack and the Asana model where, if I remember correctly, you know, originally it was like, hey, all these people are using, you know, the Facebook for business together. It's free if you want to be able to understand the data and manage what they're saying within your organization, you got to pay an enterprise license. Exactly. I think if you looked like 10 or 15 years ago, the only CFOs or COOs purchased big enterprise licenses. And now maybe like five, seven years ago, the functional leader, the VP, the director level is buying the stack. Now we're seeing the evolution of SaaS because there's SaaS for everything coming all the way down to actually the individual having their own personalized stack that they can use and plug in with each other to get their job done. You don't need the CSFO level. You don't need the functional leader level. You're coming to a place and it's an evolution of smaller price point SaaS stacks so that I can have my perfect developer stack or I can have my perfect marketing stack, or I can have my perfect sales stack. That's where I see the future of it going. I don't see it going to more and more enterprise contracts anymore. So I want to bring it back to marketing signals. We talked about the, you know, the tension is in the problems. Brian, talk to me about the power of marketing signals. Yeah, I think the power is just, you can get to a point where there's so much data about you on the internet, where the platform's the social networks, the enterprise sales companies know more data about you and know you better than you know yourself. There's a companies out there called G2 Crowd and Captera that follow the individual customer journey. And so there's always this thing in sales of like, are they problem aware? Are they through the education phase? Are they in the review phase, right? So where are they on, on their own personalized customer journey? And companies like Captera and G2 Crowd give this review data and are selling this data back to enterprise companies for individuals at companies that are reviewing particular solutions. It's super powerful. You can understand exactly where somebody's at in their buyer journey. I'm not sure I understand why that's the power of marketing signals. Well, if you go back to our conversation on Monday, originally it was sales has a relationship and you get the trust and the relationship to understand the needs and wants of the individual. The power isn't saving money and time. This is all an abstraction of a relationship of understanding the fundamental need. But I think saving time and money is pretty darn powerful. Well, look, to me, and I'm busting your chops a little here, but I think that the power of marketing signals is in moving from being a volume shooter to an assassin. Right. If you're able to get the most accurate data that not only tells you whether somebody is a prospect, but they're an in-market ready to buy prospect, right? Then you have to market to less people. And that's where your costs come down, your conversion rates go up. So to me, marketing signals is all about understanding intent and propensity to buy. And also gives you, you know, the ability to start a conversation as well. So it gives you a warm lead. Hey, happy birthday, uh, because I know that this is your birthday, or you had a work anniversary, or you got a new job, like, that's an excuse to say hi, which in most times helps you separate your messaging. 
You're right, Ben. It's about knowing who to reach out to, when to reach out to them, and what to say. Thank you. I feel like we just kind of missed a layup because we take it for granted that that's what we do every single day. The power is that it's so simple to know who to reach out to and when to reach out to them. And how to reach out with a timely conversation starter. You can reach out to anyone at any time, but they're not going to respond unless you ask them an interesting question or you start an interesting conversation. You're respecting your user. You're respecting your target and prospect's time. And they'll appreciate that because if you just spam the heck out of them with something they don't want, you're going to end up in the spam folder and you're going to be thought of as a spammer. So you need a little bit more information these days because the cost of sending another email or the cost of sending another LinkedIn message is basically nothing. Brian had someone this week that reached out on LinkedIn and said, I want to be friends. It's like, cool. What do you want to do as friends? Nothing. I just want to be friends. It's like, okay, without a specific knowing that I'm going to get value, I'm going to be able to give value. I can't act. Right. So I need a timely way to know what action I should take when you're reaching out to me. I get all the outreach on LinkedIn, most of it targeting me as a marketing agency, not as a podcast host and content creator. And a lot of them are like, hey, I saw you. We have some friends in common. Do you want to connect? And it's like... Sure, which friends? <laughs> yeah, like It's not even that. It's My problem is it's like, great, we have friends in common. This is a professional network. Like We know the same people. I know you're going to give me your sales pitch here. Why don't you just give me the damn sales pitch? Because it doesn't work as well. What I found when connecting with people on LinkedIn is if I really want to connect with them, I don't say anything. Even if I know who they are, I don't say anything. Because as soon as you put something in the in-mail message, you want something from them. I just want them to look at my profile and say, oh, interesting person. I remember talking to him. I'll connect. And not what I get, which is 50 people every single week who give me their sales pitch. And then I accept them anyway, because, you know, expand your network, see what's out there. But I know they're going to sell me right away. So why do I even do it? I hear you. And, you know, when I reach out on LinkedIn, and most of the time, this is kind of a data signal. It is I am saying, hey, this person recommended I should reach out to you. And I'm picking one of the mutual contacts. So they know who mentioned their name or who, you know, even if it's not a direct introduction, it's like, looks like we both know X person. I'm interested in your work. Can we connect? Exactly. And that's the power of a marketing signal. And LinkedIn has a ton of awesome marketing signals embedded in their platform to keep you engaged and keep you on platform. That's why they give you that data. And that's the power of all signals, which is it's making trust faster. If the enterprise sale is all about building trust with your company, if I give you this huge amount of money, I trust that you stake your reputation on your product actually working and you being able to deliver it. The marketing signal of, hey, our mutual connection introduced us is creating that small amount of trust. I use this metaphor for a lot of things, but I really do think it makes sense for marketing signals. It's like dating. It's right person, right place, right time. And the marketing signal is the data that helps you validate if your outreach meets all three of those criteria. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Ross Gates and Brian Colligan, the founders of Gravity, for joining us. If you'd like to hear more of Ross and Brian's tips for finding and using marketing signals, we're going to publish an episode every day this week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and check back with us tomorrow morning when we discuss how to build signal feedback loops. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to get in touch with Ross and Brian, you can find links to their LinkedIn profile in their show notes, or you can visit their company's website, which is launchgravity.com, L-A-U-N-C-H-G-R-A-V-I-T-Y.com. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. 
If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes, contact information for our guests. You could subscribe to our once a week newsletter. You can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you could always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.